Welcome, everybody, uh, to the Men for Life podcast. My name is Andrew Jacoby, and I'm joined by my good friend and sponsor into the Catholic Church, Pete DeMaio. Pete, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so Pete's going to um, start us off in a prayer um, so that we can make sure that we are inter- we're, bringing, we're asking Mary to intercede for us and help us in our mission here. And then we will go over what it is that we want to do with Men for Life um, as a podcast and as a movement. Then we'll go into a little bit of a backstory of Pete and myself, um, talk about some things that we have going on locally, and then, uh, you know, that'll be it for our first episode, where we're the only two guests today, the, the host. So, Pete, why don't you start us off with a prayer, and then let's, uh, let's get started. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary. That never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer them. Amen. I think it's very appropriate with this being first Saturday. And I would just ask Our Lady of Fatima to pray for us and watch over us, and St. Joseph to pray for us and watch over us. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Thank and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's great. Pete, thanks so much, man. This is awesome. It's great to have you here. It's finally, this is real. We've been talking about this for a really long time. So. We have a lot it's, of dreams to yeah, get to right. this point. <laughs> it's been a long time coming, and we're in a beautiful studio here in downtown Philadelphia, and we're going to do our best to... Uh, create a culture of life, uh, men for life. So anyway, let's start off with, I thought the first thing on our agenda today is to go over both of our kind of vision for what we're doing here as far as uh, the Men for Life podcast and the Men for Life larger movement. And so um, I'll start us off and then maybe you can you can jump in and tell us what your thoughts are. But the idea, the reason why I wanted to do why this. Why don't I get to start us oh, off? Oh, because <laughs> age before beauty, man. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> uh, age before beauty, that's right. Um, so I thought that um, the reason why I wa- the reason why I proposed this was because I thought that there was that abortion, as far as my entire life, has been an issue that seems to scare men to talk about. Meaning, it's, we've we've heard for our whole lives. You're a little younger than me, but about the same age. I'm an early abortion survivor, let's say, because I mean, 19, I was born March 6, 1973. So my mom could have killed me legally had she wanted to. So she didn't. Thank God. Thank you, mom. I appreciate that. <laughs> and she didn't kill me. And um, so w- for me, but my whole my whole life growing up, I was just told over and over and over again, it's a woman's issue, her body, her choice. This has nothing to do with you, essentially. So get out of it. You don't have a uterus, so you have no opinion about this at all. And something, I guess it was like a kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card, that idea. And so I was just like, okay, I won't have any opinion about it. I won't, I won't get involved in it. But there was something deep down that didn't seem right about that. I was like, well, but, you know, but I, I, I sort of suppressed that. And then as I grew older and I matured in my faith journey, and we can, we're going to go into that a little bit later for both Pete and I, there was this idea that it just became obvious to me that, number one, a baby is, cre- is co-created with God, but with a man and a woman. It requires both in order to make a baby. So why, can't they, why shouldn't there be both voices heard on this issue, number one? Number two, there was this idea that I had that 
well, it's historically been up to men to stand up for the defenseless, to stand up for the innocent when their rights are being trampled upon. And I think we can, we're, you know, Pete and I both agree, and we're going to try to make the case along this, this journey that we're on that the innocent children in the womb deserve rights, as much rights as anybody else has, because they're human just like you and I are human. So the idea that men are told not to participate in this was insane to me. So that's that from my side, that's where um Andrew, are you a biologist? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't even play no, I'm not <laughs> sorry for the break and the humor, everyone. <laughs> so, no, I'm not a biologist, but so we're just coming off of some fresh Supreme Court uh right, that's knowledge right. lately. We're, that's right. We're doing this in uh in beginning of April of twenty twenty two. So if anybody wants catches the reference there. Um, but the, so the first piece was that I thought that men should a have a very big part of the conversation and that wasn't happening. And then B, the other piece of this to me is that, so if we're going to talk to men about the issue of abortion and we're going to try to create a movement of men, and this is the goal of men for life, as far as I see it, to create a movement of men, um, to create a culture of life in our country, in our universe, in our world everywhere, um, as opposed to the current culture of death then A, we have to, our role is to stand up for the unborn uh, and their rights. And the other side is to talk to other men about the importance of virtuous action towards women in their lives. So I would, I, I support, and we can, we're going to talk about this during the podcast, but I support the church's teaching about chastity and the church's teaching that sex is, a, is the procreative act and the unitive act between a, ma- a married man and a married woman. That's the only coherent view of marriage, and that's the, that's the proper... Uh, place of sex in, in society, um, and so that's that's my that's that's the way I came to this. And I want Pete. I'm, I've been running my mouth about this, so maybe you can jump in. But that's sort of where I'm at, and why I wanted to. When I met you, uh, you became my sponsor into the Catholic Church, and thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you as a sponsor because you're such an inspiration to me. I'm not going to brag too much about Pete. I'll let him talk about himself, but um, that we we were on the same page here so i thought it was an awesome opportunity for us to try to do this together and to not only do it together you and i locally but to get on the mic and to try to bring this to as many anybody who will listen and so that's my uh, that's my that's 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 my story and i'm sticking to it yeah i think um when andrew says that this is uh this is a movement um he genuinely means this is this is a rebuilding of the culture of life in Pope John Paul II's um, just, you know, great words. And this is something that isn't meant just for the local Philadelphia area. This is meant for every state in the United States of America and across the globe. So our vision is that this is something that we would have everyone, everyone participate in who feels strongly and passionately about this. And of course, I'm I'm Catholic, and Andrew's becoming Catholic. He's going to be officially Catholic in the next two weeks here. Um, God willing, God willing. <laughs> Mother I Mary, told, please pray for me. <laughs> I told him I will hold him up <laughs> in front of the altar. <laughs> he will be baptized. Uh, or the devil in... is attacking me uh, in, a, in a very aggressive fashion here towards the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> very typical, very typical. <laughs> and so, uh, so providential. And I was brought down to the cathedral just um, by Steve Boza, who runs our Office of Life and Family. And he asked me if I would lecture for the Philadelphia March for Life 
mass, which just happened last January of 2021. And from there, we had Father Gill and Father Beadricki ask me if I would continue to lecture at the cathedral, you know, St. Peter and Paul's Basilica here in Philadelphia, asked if I would serve. I had some, just some outstanding experiences doing that. My brother, Chris, and I uh, got a chance to serve Mass on St. Joseph's Day last year. That was our first time serving Mass since we were kids when we were altar boys. (laughs) So our mother and father came down and watched us serve Mass. I can't imagine, you know, as you were talking about marriage, it just makes me think of my own marriage and our own family and my parents' marriage. God bless you, Mom and Dad. Just celebrated <laughs> 60 years. Amazing. Just this last November Praise 18th. God. Yeah. We just celebrated in Florida with them. It was wonderful. So, um, But for them to be able to look at their boys here, you know, 35 years later or 30 years later, serving Mass like when we were, you know, their young children and living in their house, I can't imagine what that feels like for them. And it's just been wonderful. But then um, Father Gill and Marianne asked if I would, you know, consider being a sponsor for someone. I said, sure, of course I'll be a sponsor. And then here, here walks in the door, Andrew. And I don't know who I'm meeting or what the story is, the backstory, but I don't care. I love everybody. I love human beings. So I'm like, all right, uh, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll spoon feed this guy a little Catholicism along the way if that's what he needs, you know, in his journey. And that's no big deal. Whatever somebody needs, I try and be, you know, I try and do what our Blessed Mother said, which is say yes. Anyone who knows me says I say yes way too much. <laughs> Our kids abuse me. If they want sleepovers, they don't ask mom, they ask dad, because dad just says yes. So I meet Andrew, and um, we attend Mass together, and he asked me, you know, hey, let's go over and grab a cup of coffee across the street from the cathedral. So we did, and just sat and chatted a little, and my goodness, I had no idea who I was meeting. And he begins to share this with me, and I say, oh my gosh, like, God, are you kidding me right now? Did you really just put Peter and Andrew together? Again, when- <laughs> get the band back together. <laughs> it's been 2,000 years, people, but <laughs> there's a brotherhood that has formed in this last year. It's been awesome. So anyhow, Andrew just shared a little bit of his journey with me, which he's going to share now today. So you have a little backstory on both of us. And he shared with me that this issue of killing other human beings for whatever reason, whether it be their faith, like the Jewish during the Holocaust, whether it be skin color or tone of skin, shade of skin, whether it be inside the womb, outside the womb, these crazy arguments we hear, viability, not viable, right? And these different things. And and he starts explaining this to me. And he said, especially with the unborn, when he learned that there was over 2,000 per day here in the United States, 42 million around the globe last year that were killed, ultimately for the crime of being inconvenient. I was just, I actually thought I was being punked or something like that when Andrew (laughs) starts sharing this and that that truth was one of the major truths that led him to the church because he wanted to know which church still teaches that this is wrong. Not certain members of the church, but the actual body of the church, you know, herself. Who teaches that? So I literally, I'm looking around for cameras here at the coffee shop wondering, um, did somebody put me up to this? And because for those of you um, who don't know me, this has been, it's something that God put on my heart 17 years ago. And I try and do as much as I possibly can. So that's that's my story. We'll talk more about awesome. it. But um, So Pete, what is your, how do you see, um, I, I gave my, my sort of um, 
what I see for the for the podcast and for the general movement. Do you have any thoughts to add or anything different that you think about it in terms of what we're trying to do here in general? Not just today, but in the future. Yeah, so I've had an interesting run here for the last 17 years. I knew God was calling me to do something. And um, literally, I was on retreat and I started reading about abortion. And for those of you who know Lila Rose in live action, it was almost like God did something with me on that retreat, like I think similar to what he had done to Lila Rose, where it was the middle of the night on the retreat and I'm reading and I actually was physically shaking in my bed at the pictures and the horror of abortion. And that was 2005. I still remember that. I'll never forget it Um, because that's not a normal experience, you know, that you're literally just shaking. So I promised God that night that, okay, I'll do something about this. Well, at the time, I'm like a 28-year-old man, and um, it, it wasn't really popular or cool to be standing outside <laughs> praying at an abortion facility with the little old ladies who were there. Um, but I promised God that I would do something. So um, that's kind of where it began for me. And But all along, and I think what was interesting, and and for those of you who don't know me, I've been speaking in schools, um, that that opportunity presented itself. So I've been speaking in schools since since 2008. It's been 14 years now. And I'll just go and share our personal, you know, story testimony, teach anything that, you know, anyone wants to learn about any of this issue, try and, you know, stay very truth-centered and fact-centered, because there's a lot of non-factual information floating around there. But I think what caught my attention is when Andrew said, Pete, men for life, that really did, that really caught me because that, that to me was, you're absolutely right, Andrew. God created me a male, and that makes me a male for the rest of my life in how I fit into my own marriage, my own family, and society as a whole. And then the second piece was, as a male, we have a real inauthentic masculinity that's been going on, I would surmise maybe over the last few decades um, that this has you know taken place or certainly in my lifetime and this 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 role of 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 authentic males in society in marriage and family and of course just in society um, for those of you who don't know Andrew's a single man so ladies he's still quasi available <laughs> I'm happily married 18 years but um but yeah I, I realized what Andrew was saying was so true and when you, um, for, if you don't know my backstory yet, you're gonna, you know, learn a little bit more about that. But I saw how I failed in this role just in my own life, and how it still pierces my own heart to today, and the mistakes that I've made. Um, two very, 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 um, at least one for sure, critical mistakes where I failed. And I have a good friend, Mark Halk, who runs the Kingsmen. Um, so for anyone who knows the Kingsmen, and he really pushes this concept of we need strong, authentic men, um, leaders, protectors, and providers. That's Mm -hmm. how he sums it up. Men are supposed to be, by nature, leaders, protectors, and providers. And as you say, you're like a a historian, Andrew, so when you speak, I love listening to you because you're a brilliant guy, but... It's that concept. Even if we go back into the, you know, in hundreds of years, centuries, if we go back thousands of years, even in war times, who left, you know, who left the the area to go battle? And it wasn't the women. It wasn't the children. It was the men. So I can still identify with that today in 2022 is leader, protector, provider has taken on a different form in a way, if you will. But 
but that's still what's required of us today. So I think that's my vision, I guess, summed up is when Andrew said men for life, it doesn't mean, ladies, that you aren't welcome. You are actually very welcome. We're going to have my wife, Trisha on as a guest at some point so she can even discuss what it is that, that I was lacking at one point as a man and what she truly wanted and desired for me and how I'm now trying to fulfill that. Mm. And I wasn't in those first 10 years that we were dating, but I really have worked hard at that over these last 18 years that we've been married. And so she'll be able to describe that. And I know a lot of ladies, you know, will be able to, you know, reson- that'll resonate with them and you'll be able to identify. But we want ladies on here as well. Sure. Even young ladies to be able to come on and say, hey, you know, right. this is what we're looking for. This for is what men. we need from you guys. So, yeah. yeah, to Andrew's point, this is a movement and this is a culture. And we just want to sweep up as many people into this. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It reminds me, I have, um, we're in, the, in this time in history, we have the, the horrible situation in Ukraine. And I know I have a couple friends, uh, young ladies from the Ukraine that I met um, in Bulgaria, actually. And one of them reached out and was so concerned because she and her mother and her sister left the Ukraine. But her father and brother refused to leave because they wanted to fight to defend their their home. And and she just was trying to to process that. Like, why why can't they? Why won't they leave? Why can't I get them to come and hang out with me and be with me in Portugal? Yeah. I was just like, well, they, you know, they they have a different mission. They they see it differently. It's a natural inclination yeah. for all of us to seek safety and seek shelter because w- to preserve to preserve our own life before right. someone else's. But what makes this interesting, and Andrew and I um, feel very, very deeply about the Lord and Amen. and our Catholic faith. So this is definitely going to be evangelizing and catechizing Amen. <laughs> so many of we our are guests. Not, we are not on the fence about that part. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that for me is the opposite of the cross. Right. He chooses to lay it down and not, he doesn't preserve his own life even though he can. Right. And that's where the foundation of their decision lies is they know right. they have to be warriors for something right. and they are. And Wow. What a, I mean, what a courageous move. Yeah, amen. On that note, I actually have Alex who works um, with me at our office, and he's from Ukraine. He came here in the 1990s. What an interesting guy to speak to, an interesting perspective. Wow, yeah, what did he say about the situation? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. He still yeah. has his grandmother who's there. Um, they're from, uh, is it Kiev? Is that how it's I'm pronounced? I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Okay. I always <laughs> say Kiev, but I guess that's not right. <laughs> that's where they're from. Kiev? I don't know. Yeah, you hear different, so... That's where they're from, and, and uh, he said, I think it's his, uh, his, his cousin, um, or it might have been, yeah, I believe it was his cousin, but just had a baby 12 days before the horrible oh pictures that we saw, you know, all over social media with, with um, you know, women and children, you know, newborns, you know, underneath, basement of the basement, and, you know, those, those terrible pictures that we were seeing, and he said, Pete, 12 days, and wow. she and her husband and the baby were able to get out to the border of Poland. He said otherwise she literally would be one of those pictures that we're seeing on the news or on social media. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh it's an amazing it's an amazing situation and we pray for the for the for the end of the violence, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks Pete. I, I appreciate that. So maybe we can go into backstories a little bit. So what brought us to the, I mean we talked about what we want to do, the basic sort of philosophical ideas that we have about Men for Life and the importance of the life issue and creating the culture of life. We both love the Pope uh, John Paul II. We're big fans. 
go JP two. And um, he's so, my guy. Yeah, he's great. Still he's man great. crush on Pope JP too. Right, he's right. my. I just want to be more like him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Except that he, I heard he slept on wooden floors. I guess as a way of as penance. So like he never slept in a bed. I'm I'm told that's true. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's I don't know if I could do that. I try and <laughs> deny myself, but I'm not quite at exactly. That level. That's a high, he's at a high level there. He's at a high level of denial there, and I am not. So anyway, Pete, maybe I we, I don't know if you want to start um, about sort of the the longer history. Uh, I mean, Pete, Peter's also um, the president of Pennsylvania's for Human Life, which is one of the premier uh, pro-life organizations in Pennsylvania. It's been around for a long time, and I'm sure you can go into that, but Maybe Pete, what is um, go? I don't know your uh, backstory, faith journey. This is something that uh... you want me to go first? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let me give a little blip on Pennsylvanians for Human Life. Sure. Um, really interesting. So we have Students for Life now, which is absolutely wonderful, and I've gotten a chance to um, to get to know Kristen Hawkins a little bit better. She's amazing. Un- incredible. Yeah, she's awesome. Just, Way to go, Kristen, if you're listening. Yeah, honestly, yeah, love what you're doing. And everyone who's a part of SFLA, I mean, great, 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 great work because you're covering all the different facets that are there that need to be addressed. Um, so I, um, I stumbled across this Pennsylvanians for Human Life, and they were doing similar work, um, and they had been doing it for decades with um, volunteers. I mean, just incredible people. Mary Ellen, who's still there and involved with us. Martha Short, who was our director just up until several years ago. And mm. so much of my formation over these last 15 years have has come directly from Martha. She would just, back in the day, hand me just pamphlet after pamphlet and just feed me with information. But um, that that was, that to me... I think was at the core of a lot of this issue is we have people showing up to these abortion facilities without the information that's needed. And it left me feeling in a way that, um, you mean the people showing up for abortion for abortions. Yeah. And it left me feeling like my goodness, I was so undereducated and underinformed. And if I was, how many of these other people are showing up here in that same exact fashion? So Pennsylvanians for Human Life's entire mission was an education-based mission. And at first it rubbed me a little bit weird that they were non-religious affiliated. Right. And then I understood why is they were going into public schools and into private or right. so you know, they stayed yeah. Yeah, like a non-sectarian basically. Right. So right. that this way it was an education mission. Um, interestingly enough for us as Catholics is you could just tie God into the same, like the content didn't change if you just add God or theology to the, you know, to the content, but the content was still there. So it really captivated me. And that's why even 14 years later, I never have wanted to leave Pennsylvanians for human life just because I am so faithful to that mission of making sure that all people, but especially our youth are actually educated, you know, and informed. Um, surrounding this issue just of of dignity and respect for human life from conception Mm. all the way until natural death. And I had to witness my own brother die of cancer. Mm. So for anyone out there who's had to witness a close family member, you know, pass away, I know sometimes someone has a grandparent living with them or something and you have to watch that, you know, that grandparent, you know, in their final stages. And or a parent, or, yeah. you know, in my case, a sibling. Really, I mean, gosh, it's like gut-wrenching when you have to go through it. Hospice comes in, the whole thing. And and I realized that there's, there's, there's something here about Pope John Paul's teaching on all of this, Mother Teresa's way of living, you know, in the world. And 
And that was this dignity and respect for human life piece um, in all stages. So now that bypasses any of these social justice like slogans, you know, that mm. have become yeah. so popular, you know, today right. is it bypasses all of that because we're not talking about certain groups of people or, you know, whether it be male or female or you know, ethnic background or, you know, skin colors or eye colors or whatever. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about each one of these as a human being. And we know that they're a human being scientifically, biologically, medically. I mean, that's what every single, you know, textbook said. (laughs) Right. Even when the Roe versus Wade decision came down in 1973, that's what every single obstetrical, gynecological, you know, like textbook said. It's almost like the Supreme Court lost their library cards that day. (laughs) (laughs) And even back, which we just learned recently, even back to the 1940s, the stages of development of life, that was at Carnegie Mellon University. I think it's 1942 or at some point, you know, someone, Chuck Reimer, our vice president, could correct me on the, you know, on that exact date. But so, so that's all been there. So. I was very, very drawn to that. And then um, I think also uh, to Pennsylvanians for Human Life, and it's why I would like to utilize them as a vehicle of education. And we're going to be, you know, partnering up for Students for Life um, as much as possible along the way. That's too. great. Yeah. yeah. How many, do you know how many campuses Students for Life are on right now? Yeah. So for those that aren't aware, they're on 1,300 college campuses right now. Wow. And my vision would be, and if we can start this program here in Pennsylvania, I just I just want to pick up the torch that was already, right. you know, right. sure. in, in play. And I just want to run with what our founders created, you know, in Pennsylvanians for Human Life over these last, you know, 50 years. But um, but if we can be basically a feeder program for them where we have students grades 7 through 12. Right. Now, all of a sudden, we're taking them and helping to form them in those early years, 7 through 12, and now right. we can take them and right. pass them right along into their college campuses before they even right. get there. Then, because God's so good, and <laughs> <laughs> is I wound up becoming close with the Sisters of Life. You know, oh, yeah, over they're these, amazing. I love wow. them. Yeah, so great. Sisters. Even those, they're beaming with the Lord. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit live are strong with them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Star Wars lingo. (laughs) For our Trekkies and our. uh, Yeah, right. What do you call a Star Wars person? I don't even know. I think it's Star Wars. There's no name. There's no. I don't think there's a correlate to Trekkie. But I know. Yeah, people, fans. Yeah. Star Wars fans. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are strong with those ones. They. (laughs) Sure is. My parents said that, and they um, they met them last night. <coughs> Excuse me, Stations of the Cross, and they said they're just so joyful. It's just written on their faces. So the Sisters of Life actually have some curriculum to be able to go down and 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 be countercultural and combat some of the things. Do they do being... it in schools? Curriculum for schools, or yes? Oh wow! I and it goes that. all the way down to kindergarten. Oh wow! So I think if we build this thing out and pull this thing off the the way that we would like to. We're going to be able to go in and slowly start um, reaching the the minds and the hearts of all young people, beginning as early as kindergarten. Right. And there may be um, there may be some developments even right here locally in our area. I don't want to uh, divulge you know too much information. Right. What's going on? But I, stay tuned. To stay the tuned. Few future episodes. <laughs> I had a conversation with one of our major players here in uh, in the. Um, the local archdiocese of Philadelphia, he's a well-known priest, and he's pretty, pretty awesome. And um, we might even have theology of the body. Oh, man, that would be amazing. Entering the curriculum of our schools. You hear that, Christopher West? 
coming. <laughs> You're in Pennsylvania anyway. Christopher West and everyone here at the TOB Institute in Pennsylvania. Um, I am not not ashamed in any way to say that theology of the body teaching, when I learned it from Monsignor Brian Bransfield on retreat, literally just Damon Owens, Joy to Be, it just it just took all of the dots and just lined them all up for the first time ever in my mm-hmm. life, where it took everything about me, who I am, how I was created, my sexuality, and it just made it all make sense. And what took it one step further was it helped me understand my relationship with Trisha at that point also. So it wasn't just an interpersonal understanding of my own self. It was actually an understanding of my own self, which led me to a deeper understanding of the union with my counterpart and her... Like in France, they I think it's Viva la Difference. Yeah, right. (laughs) Celebrate the difference. It's she's unique and different than me. Right. And uniquely special. And I learned how to cherish her differently. So thank you, Christopher West, as Andrew said. And where were you where were you before that? What was the journey there? Like what what was your what was your how were you viewing it before and how did theology of the body or the teachings that you got at that time change change your opinion? Like what was what was before what was where was your philosophy before that? So <clears throat> I think a lot of times when we're learning something, and I just want to preface the answer to that question just by saying our willingness to learn what's being taught matters. There's a saying that says um, uh, the teacher appears when the pupil is ready. Right. So just think about that one for a second. The teacher was always standing there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we just needed the pupil. So I was ready and I was ready in a big way because I realized we have a divorce rate that's 50% and Catholic couples are divorcing at the same rate as the rest of the world. We have a divorce rate among couples who cohabitate of of two-thirds. Depending on statistics, we right. see anywhere from two-thirds to three-quarters, so 70% call it. Well, Trish and I cohabitated before marriage. Right. So I'm literally holding hands, walking up to this altar, standing in front of our Lord, kneeling down during the singing of the Ave Maria, you know, in mm. front of the Blessed Mother, and we had a very traditional, you know, Catholic right. wedding um, uh, that my wife and my mother-in-law, uh, you know, helped uh, put together. And thank you, Mom. <laughs> and and Trisha's sisters, you know, right, very sure. involved. So a beautiful family. They're a great family. So I um, so I think that I, when I learned some of this teaching, and that was the preface, is just that I was ready because I realized that we were standing there holding hands, and there was a seventy percent chance or more because of our backstory, that we're not going to make it. And then I'm saying, why am I even standing here if we're not going to make it? Is there a different way? Like, I'm wearing this coat right now. I'm willing to try on a different jacket. It might not feel as comfy when I first put it on, but I'm willing to try that one on and see how that fits because, hey, the world's way doesn't seem to be a really good equation. So, well, I stumble across this theology of the body teaching. I think at that point, I was on my knees at looking right. for a different. Yeah, you're I'm ready. ready. You're ready. You're teachable. Yes, <laughs> very, very teachable and coachable. And that is not <laughs> a quality of Pete DeMaio <laughs> <laughs> or most young young bucks. Yes, men. So when we say men for life, we right. are going to go deep right. in the teaching right. of men for life and right. uh, letting go of some of our stubbornness right. is a, it's a, it's a big piece of the puzzle, <laughs> especially for the younger men. We ran into that yesterday a little bit. When? 
Yes, it is. Oh, we did. You mean at the coffee shop? <laughs> no, at the school. Oh, yeah. We ran into that at the school. The speech. Yeah. We were, we were uh, giving a speech for senior retreat, and uh, we ran into that a little bit. Sometimes guys have a too, little too much alpha male going on, so we just need to reel it in a little, gents. Just a little bit. <laughs> right. Gentlemen. Yes. Be gentlemen. So, yeah, I guess to back up then, Trisha and I met when we were 15 years old. And we were both raised in just, you know, we're cradle Catholics. We're raised in traditional Catholic families, go to church on Sundays, sure. you know, invite a priest over for dinner now and then. And, yeah. you know, I was an altar server, you know, Trisha had all the uh, the church songs just, you know, right, you know, ingrained in her from, uh, I think it was Sister Bernadette <laughs> at Sacred Heart in New Jersey. So she still loves Sister Bernadette to this day for that. Um, and she said, uh, Sister Bernadette, I think, used to tell them that singing was like praying twice. Oh, wow. That's a great line, Sister Bernadette. If yeah. If you're still with us. Yeah, if you're still with us. Yeah. You're, you're, you're with Trisha to this day. Amen. Sometimes you're standing in church. I look over at Trisha, and I'm like, how do you know the words of this song? I don't even... <laughs> she, knows, she just gets it. <laughs> yeah, it's just in there. So um, Trisha and I had a very, very rocky relationship. We were very just cultural. We were just very much of the world. And we were just doing things the way the world does it. And I got caught in that. I got caught in that trap. You know, for those, um, you know, those who know me, I'm from Ventnor, New Jersey. I grew up a block and a half from the beach next to Atlantic City. You know, great family growing up, great best time, you know, growing up. But I was very much like my buddies, like where we're all just, you know, like the world. Not a knock. All of them are super successful. You know? Right. And, um, but... Then when you see how this starts to play out in relationships, that's why you, you know, the, that's, that's where we have a problem. Like I said, so when you see marriages ending at a 50, 60, 70% divorce rate, children right. that have to grow up in divorce households, how this effect that this has on, you know, on the family, you know, it's, it's tough. It's very difficult. Even on, even just, if we're just speaking socioeconomically, the number one reason for poverty is a single income household. Right. Household. Right. Yeah. All you have to do is like finish high school. I think it's a Brookings Institute. Like if you finish high school, don't have children before marriage, and get like any job and keep it. Any job doesn't matter if you just don't do that. Get married before having kids. Graduate from high school and get a job. Usually you're good. Yeah. And that's like that's not a right wing institution. The Brookings Institution. That's like. No. This is just. Recording information and documenting statistics, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm a math guy. I'm totally math brain guy. I'm, you know. So when I see, see statistics like that, they're just like burned into my, you know, right. into my brain. And I say, all right, well, that seems pretty fundamental to me. Right. So you were you're um, you were lost in the wor- the world's way of doing sort of men man man woman relationships. Yeah, I got think broken exactly. I think just, Andrew that that there's just just. That that leader, protector, provider thing, I think it gets twisted a little bit and it gets twisted into almost like a successful, ambitious, um, power, greed, money, money, greed, power. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And if you listen to rap music, it just, you know, like we grew up listening to rap and club music down the shore. And it's like that just takes it to a whole nother level because right. it's like it's pushing that message, yeah. pushing that instrumental message of. Uh, yeah, money, power, money, respect. Power. Money, power, respect. And Sex, I'm going old money, school right now. Right. I'm going 1990s, you know. But that was it. And so then you start to view. You're starting. Yeah. Uh, in 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 anyone who's been through theology of, of the body can appreciate this. Now the world's handing you a different set of lenses to look through, and now you're seeing the world through those lenses. And I absolutely was seeing the world through those lenses. You start having these. 
there's nothing wrong with our dreams as men of what we'd like to become and you know who we'd like to become what we'd like to accomplish but when when those things actually take over and become essentially they become you and I have spoken Andrew they become god yeah yeah they Men, become your operating system they become how you do it yeah mm-hmm. and that's when we run into serious trouble and serious trouble for Trish and I looked like not understanding our sexuality and our ability to um you know to handle those urges and those desires yeah. as a young couple um that can lead to um, unplanned pregnancy, and then from unplanned pregnancy, we have a society that tells us that an unplanned pregnancy means an unwanted baby. Right. Which Unplanned and unwanted are the same. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You didn't plan it, therefore you don't want it. Right. And it's until later that I realized that we have an infertility rate amongst couples, married couples, 15 to 20%. These are, these are couples that are just dying to have a family and have a baby. They would gladly, gladly adopt those babies. So an unplanned pregnancy clearly doesn't equal an unwanted baby. Right. Just not wanted by the couple that had the baby. It's uh, They're wanted by another couple. Yeah. Exactly. So it was a long way to get here, but um, but there's... um. I, I think the, the critical moment for me uh, was when my... Um, I, I, I was in my, my early to mid 20s and I'm very successful in business at this, at this point and I'm starting to really come around. Um, I later learned that that's when the, your, um, your frontal cortex is formed. So now my brain is, uh, is being fully formed at age 24, 25 years old. I find myself calling my parents on the phone on like Friday nights on my way home from the office saying, hey, mom, dad, thanks a lot. I come across a lot of people and thanks for doing such a good job raising me. Those aren't the types of things you're doing at 16 and 18 years right. old. You're not sure. necessarily calling mom and dad thanking them. So, um, you know, I'm calling them, thanking them. But but at that time, as I was really into all of this, like successful business, being a consummate professional, all this Dale Carnegie leadership, you know, all of that world in the business world, which was wonderful because I was clearly a much better person than I was right. three to five years before that. It was all great in, in forming me into a better Pete. However, the one thing that was lacking, which I didn't realize at the time, was was our faith, which ultimately was my relationship with Jesus. I didn't have that at the time, Andrew. So um, my brother winds up diagnosed with cancer in 2001. My mom is diagnosed coincidentally, ironically, with the same exact cancer in 2002. And the doctors are telling us that the non-Hodgkin's B-cell lymphoma that they were both diagnosed with was not hereditary in any way. So here I have my mom in one hospital and my brother in another hospital. Both of them um, are not doing, neither of them are doing very well at all. And, and uh, I realize that they might not make it. Right. Not only may I lose one of them, I might lose both of them. And at that time, Trisha had never left church but I did. I don't want anything to do with our Catholic faith anymore. I mean, I rebelled and walked away big time. Like mm-hmm. I've had enough of the rules and God telling me how to live right. my life. So I'm out there. Right. I I am killing solo. <laughs> oh, I am flying solo. I, I'm killing it out there, doing it my way. I mean, like I heard a story. What was that? The Garden of Eden. 
<laughs> I listened to a CD once. It's Father Larry Richards out from Erie, Pennsylvania. He said the song that they play all day long in hell is Frank Sinatra, My Way. Well, guess what? I was uh, I was listening to My Way all day long out <laughs> when I was out there killing it. And I um I realized just how helpless I truly was. So I quickly went from Pete, you know, on top of of the world, what I'm doing. And I quickly went to a very, very humble, docile Pete. So when I came back to the church seeking help, I came back on both knees, very, you know, right. very, very humble. And I'm asking, I'm now pleading with God, asking for help. Please don't take my mom. Please don't take my brother. Please don't take both of them. And fortunately, um, my mom lived, but my brother died. And it's a shame for me to have to say it. And I'll, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you um, go, Andrew, because I really want to hear from you because your backstory is so interesting. It's fascinating. So I love listening to you, you speak about it. But I just, um, I think that if my brother hadn't passed away, I never would have made it. I actually, I because God would have let me off the hook one step too early. That's, I feel, actually feel horrible saying that. That's so unmanly and pathetic that I actually would have, I would have, regressed back to my prior ways knowing that God gave me my way again mm. and I didn't lose my mom and brother and I would have regressed back to the worldly ways that I was living. I actually needed to lose him. How pathetic and sad is that? That I mean, talk about a spiritual poverty. I needed him to die so that I would actually go... So you could live. Yeah, so I could live. So mm. I, if you like the movie Rounders, like I finally went all in. I wasn't going to go all in until that. And then I had bottomed out completely. Just emptiness inside rock bottom and at that point is when i finally just decided all right god my cup's empty now you pour into it however whatever you want to that's why i have no problems with the teachings of our church only because i'm fully obedient now i just said all right god cup's empty you put in here whatever you want to because i've already done it my way and i just don't i don't want that anymore yeah i love your you were talking about this yesterday which i hadn't heard which was patrick madrid uh, sort of the the idea of the bridges and it's not really a philosophy class it's an engineering thing could you share that and then I'll 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 go into yeah I was listening to Patrick Madrid along the way he's such a powerful apologetic um, you know speaker for the Catholic Church um, you know had left the Catholic Church and then you know came back and and all and he said you know when you're in one of these philosophy classes they're wonderful but you really can get your head messed up a little you start hitting on topics like circular reasoning and these are like royally mess your head up classes you know and we have like this this whole culture that everybody's into all this like you know I'm not in a religion I'm just being spiritual you know and he said look when you go to an engineering class it's different there's you know you're in the same class with a classmate and you have two different formulas to build the bridge, he said, one of you is going to make the bridge fall down. <laughs> and, and that really resonates with me because I say to myself, that's right. Well, guess what? I had the wrong formula. And by age 25 and 26, my bridge had collapsed and it had fallen down to a point where I couldn't have been more empty. So I wanted to know, hey, is there another formula here that's actually a, a long lasting, strong bridge? And whatever that one is, I want to subscribe. I want, yeah, yeah. I want to, I I want to hit on, on that. that I want to drive my bridge across, <laughs> or my car across that one. Yeah, yeah. Amen. That's great. Well, thanks, Pete. That was awesome. It's great to get a little background from you because, um, yeah, you're an inspiration to me. It's been a wonderful journey, like joining the church with you. It's been a blessing from God. I mean, I can't believe that uh, we were put together. Now, I might believe it, but it's just so awesome because we're both coming from such a same place. Obviously, different life journeys, but 
very similar results at the end of the day in terms of philosophically and theologically where we are. And um, yeah, so my my uh, my journey to the faith is I was born and raised Jewish. My mother's side is pretty Orthodox Jewish. Like uh, so, we go to like a cousin's wedding, it'll be you know black hats and and uh, Hasidic Jews and. So it's sort of her her side is part sort of modern modern Orthodox, which is like you know like Ben Shapiro's modern Orthodox, so a guy he'll, he'll wear a yarmulke. But some of her family is actually Hasidic, and my dad's is sort of secular, like, like Seinfeld Jewish, you know that. And so we we grew up around around. But Philadelphia. everybody loves Seinfeld. Yeah, right, right. But he's not particularly <laughs> Jewish. I mean, he's culturally Jewish, but not like not really. Um, so we call it conservative uh, Jewish. So I you know went to Hebrew school. Three days a week, everything. But in Hebrew school, I, I recall they they showed us a, a video of the Holocaust and the the horrors of the Holocaust and those people so skinny and and I just at my age and the development in my mind at that point was there can't obviously there can't be a loving God in the world and the Holocaust exist. So both of those two things cannot coincide together. There can't be a loving God and the Holocaust. So. I was pretty convinced at that point that there was no God. I checked out of Hebrew school, although I went to an all-boys school, Penn Charter, in, in Philadelphia, and Hebrew school had some girls in Hebrew school, so that was okay. But um, I still, I checked out, and I decided that there was no God. Um, and little by little, I, I, I was an athlete as a kid, and then when I became, um, I was, I became a musician in my uh, like early twenty, late teens, early twenties, and I just fell in love with music. And music was my God. It was my spirit. It was my spiritual connection to the world because it's non-material. It's sound. It's vibration. I just loved it. I couldn't explain why. You know, I couldn't tell you. Just the feeling that it gave me to play music on the guitar and to listen to music. It was a real solution for me. And I thought that was God. It was actually I was. T- I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't talk about it that way. But that's what. That's all I cared about. And I went to college, but. I I was there to you know play music and and whatever. But the problem with with that was that um, along that lifestyle, at least the kind of music I was playing, I was into blues and rock and and um, that kind of music. There was a a culture surrounding it, and I would say it's not a culture of life. Let's say it's a culture of death that surrounds that type of music. You're playing in bars. You're playing in. Uh, at nightclubs and that's your that's your job essentially and um and so my heroes went from being guys like Andre Agassi and Yvonne Lendl growing up athletes to guys like Eric Clapton and BB King and all these you know so those guys were into drugs and alcohol and I thought that that was part of what music was all about you know that was what was it that was in order to play like them you have to smoke cigarettes and you have to do alcohol and drink you know, whatever so I got involved you know in all of You know what's interesting, if you don't mind, no, just pause sure. in there for a second, is, and how much of the music then becomes about pain? Yeah, ex- well, yeah, exactly. There's that famous line in, in like uh, High Fidelity. It's like, does, in the John Cusack movie based on the um, Nick Hornby novel, which is, is it, does it, is it the sadness that brings on the music or does the music create the sadness? <laughs> right? the, then, like, I don't, and I, I think it's a great question. Um, yeah, because there's a chicken and an egg there. As I'm listening right. to you describe it, yeah, it's like exactly. you actually left the world of of being productive, right. um, like an Andre Agassi, where mm-hmm. it's you know you're just a tennis just all star. You know, I loved him by the way. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's great. great to watch. And then it's like you entered this new world where it became about something completely different. And yeah, yeah. there's I think that 
Um, there's a there's a there's a let's say a, a meme out there in the artistic world of that you the sort of tortured artist thing. That's a thing. You know, you got to be depressed and screwed up, and then you're going to be great. Right. Like there's and it's a stupid idea, guys. If you if you're following along, yeah. Like the end of the story is that you don't have to do that. But at that time when I was young, I thought that that was part of the thing. So I ended up lost in the world of all that surrounded music. So. You know, it's like Aerosmith said, we started out as musicians dra- dabbling in drugs and alcohol. We ended up as drug addicts and alcoholics dabbling in music. Yes. And it's yes. A, it sort of takes over. And So it, even if you're not a Vincent Van Gogh who's literally suffering from, you know, a yeah. mental illness and right. chops off his own ear, you almost, if you're not that person, you almost like crave that. Like you need to be that to fit in yeah. better in that scene. Yeah, and it's true, and and I, I was just lost, and to make a long story short, because we have to wrap it up in a in a few minutes, but to I through that real darkness, I I did find some light eventually through what I would call the new age. So teachers like uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, some various Zen Buddhism, um, yoga. Uh, Osho, various sort of, let's say, pagan philosophers, let's just say. I did get in contact with the Holy Spirit that way, although I wouldn't have put it in in those words. It just, I felt some love that... You had referenced one yesterday. Yeah, there, yeah, Mickey Singer from um, the uh, the Untethered Soul, and I, I I I found a lot of peace there, and I was doing a lot of meditations. I was learning mindfulness and all this stuff, and it really helped me, and it helped me get away from the darker elements of of the music culture, and that was wonderful. And I was living, I went traveling, and I was living in uh, abroad for about ten years until COVID shut down all borders, and I had to come back to the United States. But I was living for a long time in Vienna, Austria. And so what I would do would be I would go into um, these churches to do my New Age meditations because they were quiet and beautiful rooms. And I just sat there for hours. And they have this line, this part in the, in the church where it says, you know, the church is about truth, goodness, and beauty. And the way of beauty is called the via pulchritudinous, uh, which is that at that time, I wouldn't have believed the truth of the Catholic faith. I would have, you know... I, Somebody rose from the dead. Come on. Like Jesus was a teacher. He's a hippie. Whatever. Um, goodness. Hey, there's a sex scandal. Haven't you heard? You know? So yeah. I wouldn't believe either one of those. But the beauty in those churches is absolutely unarguable. I don't care. Circular reasoning. No, re- there doesn't need reasoning. You just sit in those rooms. And the beauty, it just seeped into my soul. And... I was sitting there and I would go outside because I was, I was, you know, I'd walk into some modern building and there's cubicles and, and I, I just would go back and forth and I'd sit in that church and I said that, wow, there is something in this room that is true, that is human, and that is so far beyond where we are today in terms of our understanding of what's real, the real, that I think we're lost in the modern world. I knew I was lost. And in that room, I was like, what are the ideas that inspired people to dedicate their lives to building a church like this? Because everywhere you go in Europe, they're the most beautiful building you're going to find in any town in Europe will be the church, hands down. And so little by little, at that time, I had, I had sort of graduated from 
the New Age teaching and, and a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jordan Peterson had come into my life and he had this series on the psychological significance of the biblical stories, which changed my life profoundly and got me to the place where I was back now to the Old Testament because his lectures were mostly on the Old Testament stories. So Genesis, Exodus. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting because these are Jewish stories. And he was talking about it in a way that was very inspiring but he made no metaphysical commitments about the truth of it. It was sort of, it's true because the stories resonate and they're real, but you know, he wouldn't commit to any sort of, it did, for example, he has a story about the importance of Jesus, but he doesn't, he, if you asked him, did Jesus really rise from the dead and is he the word made flesh? And he would, at least as I understand it, he tap dances a lot and you know, I live as though, you know, he does all this weird stuff, which I don't really understand that well. It's above my pay grade. But anyway, he had this podcast, and I was living in Bulgaria at the time. I'd moved to Bulgaria for the summer. Um, and he had the podcast, this podcast, um, with a gentleman by the name of uh, Bishop Robert Barron. And Bishop Barron is a Catholic priest. And Bishop Barron was talking to Jordan Peterson and said, yes, these stories are amazing. You're right. Thank you for clarifying um, the beauty of the stories in the Bible. And Jesus was real. And it's real. It's it's a true myth, as C.S. Lewis would say. I think it was C.S. Lewis. It's a myth that's true. It's real. And you can bet your life on it. And I have, and I'm really glad I did. And there's all kinds of, like, and there's a deeply rich intellectual tradition. So it's wonderful that you're out, you know, sort of spazzing out here on the psychological significance of it. And that's wonderful. And it's great and true. And also, you're, on the, you're just, like, at the top of this huge mountain of beauty and truth and goodness. And... And that is contained in the Catholic faith. And I went down that rabbit hole. I went on that journey with Bishop Barron in Word on Fire. And uh, he, he took me the rest of the way home. So he took me from, obviously the Holy Spirit did in the grace of God because um, faith is a, is a theological virtue. It's a gift from our Lord. But ultimately, it was, um, it was Bishop Barron and his teaching that brought me into the truth and the goodness of the Catholic faith and ultimately to the cause of life. And so I think here we can, we can end, Pete, for our first session of the Men for Life podcast. And um, I'm really excited. And the goal here is to be documenting a movement, a men's movement. Again, as Pete said, there'll be women involved, but it's a, the, the main push is to um, speak to especially young men about, number one, our role as the protectors and defenders of life of the innocent because they don't have a voice. They don't have a say today. The babies that are being killed do not have a say. And so we have to, to speak not for stand them. for them right, already right. is putting exactly. ourselves in a position, not even of defense, it's putting ourselves in a position exactly. of, of, of just nothingness. Right. It's I'm not even there. I'm turning right. my back on it. Pretending I don't see it. Yeah. Right. So that's number one. The second is that we, that the church's teaching on chastity and the church's teaching on virtue in that way around women and the behavior between men and women is the correct way to create this culture of life. And so amen. that'll be the goal. Amen. <laughs> and that will be the goal of the, the podcast. We'll be bringing on guests and we'll have young people. Today it was just me and Pete to sort of intro everybody to what we're trying to do and who the, start, who the founders of this are. Um, and uh, and I'm, really, I'm really glad to have met you, Pete. It's been a wonderful blessing to me in my life. And it's like, I look forward to uh, whatever the, the Lord blesses us on this journey. And uh, Same. God puts people in our lives. Um, for various, various reasons, but I knew, I knew when 
God put Andrew in my life, that there was something here that he yeah. was going to use us for. And again, just to, uh, to end uh, where we began is that is the ask of Our Lady is she just wants us to say yes. Even going back to Jesus's first miracle, public miracle at the wedding of Cana, when she tells them, just do what he tells you. It's that's mm. all she wants from us because she knows if we just give God our yes, the way that she gave her yes, full trust, full faith, right? We're going <laughs> to be fine. And I know that that's what we have here. Um, as we had said before, um, this is just the beginning for the men for life. Um, we will have on, you know, many, many guests. Thank you uh, for uh, for taking uh, some time to listen. We're looking forward to kicking off this movement. Amen. In the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray for us sinners, now and at, and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and, and the, the Son, Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. God bless you.